0: Hey, man, you guys should all sign up for the Libertarian Institute's email list. Will Porter's been putting together this great newsletter every week. And all you got to do is go to the bottom of the page at libertarianinstitute.org and sign up there. It's real dang good. All right, y'all. Welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of antiwar.com, author of the book, Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy, and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there, and the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com. Scott Horton show. All right, you guys, on the line, I got Tim Shorrock, and uh, you know, he's a hell of a great journalist. He wrote the book Spies for Hire, The Secret World of Intelligence Outsourcing, and he's a real expert on Korea, rights for the nation, and things like that, and he's got a brand new project called The Shorrock Files, and it's at patreon.com. Welcome back to the show, Tim. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thank you.
0: It's been a little while.
1: It's been a while.
0: You're in my book.
1: I got your book, yeah.
0: Yeah, Hotter Than the Sun. Did I send you one?
1: You did, yes.
0: Okay, good. Sorry, I got what Biden's got. I can remember everything I read, but I can't remember anything else. Uh, <laughs> listen, um, So, and and it's a really good interview, too. It's a great summary of kind of a, an end cap on what Trump, tried and failed to do with North Korea there. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but it's one really great reason for people to buy and read hotter than the sun time to abolish nuclear weapons. Uh, Tim Shorrock's great takes. Um, but so tell us all about this new project, the Shorrock files, Tim.
1: Well, first of all, I'm, I'm trying to do like, like so many other people who've gone on Substack. I looked at that and decided I, uh, I, uh, with the combination of, of of reporting I've done and all the archives I have, I thought knowing a Patreon would be better because I could do kind of a multi, um, uh, multimedia presentation of my work. And so that's what I've done. So it's, it's, it's a Patreon where people can subscribe, uh, for as little as $3 a month cheap. Uh, and, but the basic price is $5 a month. And then, it's linked to my website, which has, uh, which I've designed to be redesigned to be an archive of my work and, and research I've been doing on U.S. involvement in South Korea and Japan and East Asia in general, uh, basically, you know, since the 1970s. And so um, I've got archives that. On one hand, uh, you know, I became famous in Korea for disclosing the hit, kind of hidden U.S. role in the 1980 uh, uprising, citizen uprising in South Korea against a military coup, where the where the Carter administration basically sided with the military dictators and uh, uh, helped them put down a uprising. Of, in this in this city, and I've got a ton of uh, uh, documents about that that are now uh, they're, they've been available, but now uh, they're, they're searchable, and you know I'm adding I'm increasing that archive, and and I'm also been working on another book about the U.S. and Korea and Japan since 1945, and as I've been dip, you know doing the research for that, I'm 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 going to be posting. All kinds of documentation and doc- documents and photographs and and other kinds of media, uh, it, you know, about the U.S. role in Asia since since uh, the end of World War II, uh, and it's also got um, all my reporting on intelligence and the privatization of intelligence going way back. And so it's it's a real resource, I think, for people that are interested in. American policy in Asia, one of the most important parts of the world, and where we're, of course, you know, the situation there is very dangerous right now, Uh, at least this morning. You know, I watched, uh, you know, Biden uh, after his meeting with Xi Jinping uh, in Indonesia, so at least the U.S. is talking to Xi Jinping, but all negotiations with uh, North Korea have, have, you know, ended, Uh, You know, they've been over since the the talks with with Trump and Kim Jong-un collapsed in 2019. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I hope to be a resource for people really, you know, interested in following these developments and trying to understand that, you know, when we talk about confronting China militarily, that it means... You know, it, all the the confrontation will come from all these U.S. bases that are in South Korea and Japan and Okinawa, and Guam, and this is a massive military empire uh, that itself, you know, is I think is a real danger to to peace. And and I think you know that's what that's what I hope to bring attention to uh, with this Patreon, which is called. DMZ Empire. People can go to it by just going to Patreon slash DMZ Empire. And the reason I call it a DMZ Empire is that um, I see the U.S. you know force structure in Asia, uh, you know, based of you know you know twenty eight thousand five hundred troops in South Korea, uh, about about fifty thousand in Japan uh, and Okinawa mostly in Okinawa and, of course, the forces in Guam, that, that military empire is based on the permanent division of South Korea and the kind of the merger of South Korea with Japan and, and in terms of the US, U.S. military. And, you know, in the last couple of days, the Biden administration has been putting out all these statements and, you know, tweets and you know, policy, policy uh, overviews of what they're doing all based on what they call this trilateral military relationship with South Korea and Japan, uh, which which I believe is at the heart of a lot of the, the military confrontation. And, and actually, that is a problem in and of itself. And that's what I'm trying to bring attention to.
0: Yeah, so that's such an important point, that they've created this permanent greater and greater disincentive for ever negotiating any kind of real peace with north korea because that opens the door to reunification and that opens the question of uh, south korea armed with north korea's nuclear weapons and not having to do what we say anymore and so that'll screw up your whole trilateral thing you're doing there right
1: right uh and you know and, and of course you know now i mean you know japan has been under you know the, the rule of the Liberal Democratic Party, the ruling party, since or basically they've been ruling almost uninterrupted since 1955. And this, of course, is a very pro American, very subservient to US interests uh, kind of government. Uh, South Korea, uh, in, you know, until recently you know, has gone, well, it's gone back and forth between. Uh, progressive governments and very conservative governments since the 1990s. Uh, you know, as 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 your listeners know, and you know, I've you've had me on the program when 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 uh, talks were actually going on between North and South Korea and the U.S. and North Korea. That was under Moon Jae-in, who was the president of South Korea uh, from 2000 from from 2007 until recently. Uh, and and he was very progressive and wanted engagement with North Korea. And he actually, you know, initiated negotiations. And uh, this was back in 2008. And out of th- that negotiation grew the the uh, invitation from North Korea to meet with uh, President Trump when he was president. And uh, you know, out of that, that grew. You know, there there was a there was great hope that there would be uh, a, a, a you know a, a peaceful resolution to what the U.S. considers you know the, the problematic is the of the uh, no, the development of nuclear weapons in North Korea, and you know these negotiations went pretty far, but you know in 2019 uh, they collapsed because. You know, Kim Jong Un and North Korea came forward with this proposal where they would close about 80 percent of their nuclear facilities. Basically, this one big uh, place in where they have where they make uh, their their weapons. Uh, this 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 site called Yongbyon. They were willing to close that down, but they wanted in return. A lifting of some of the the latest sanctions that were imposed on North Korea by the U.S. and the United Nations Security Council, Uh, but the Trump and Pompeo and the people around him uh, uh, did not want to give up any sanctions until they had fully denuclearized, uh, and so the talks collapsed. And now, you know, and since then. Uh, a, a, a very conservative president was narrowly elected in South Korea earlier this year, and uh, President Yoon, and he is he is uh, very militaristic himself. He has threatened to have he, he was threatened, you know, uh, preemptive strikes on North Korea, and he's very much in tune with the, the, the Biden administration's hawkishness on North Korea, and so. As a result, you know, this kind of three, three-way trilateral alliance with Japan and South Korea under this conservative president in South Korea is really developing uh, rapidly. And, of course, you know, over the last, well, particularly over the last few months, North Korea has been testing you know, a, a record number of, of missiles. Uh, and some of them are... or. Some of them are shorter range, and some of them are long range missiles. But they've really developed this capacity, uh, basically to hit any U.S. base uh, in the area. So that means you know U.S. bases are they've targeted U.S. bases uh, in Japan, Okinawa, South Korea, Guam, and of course the U.S. has this massive military structure arrayed against them. And so the situation is deteriorating and it's dangerous on, on both sides. And, uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned about, about what could happen as a a result.
0: All right. Well, we all know that the ruiner of all good things is George W. Bush. And that 20 years ago was 2002 and that 2002 was the year of many great terrible things, um, including right around this time in 2002 was when, as I remember it, John Bolton at the State Department, of course, under the supervision of Bush and Cheney, broke the agreed framework deal of 1994, announced new sanctions, put North Korea in the, uh, announced the, what they called the PSI, the Proliferation Security Initiative, which was their declared right to seize whatever North Korean ships on the high seas that they felt like. And then they added them to the nuclear posture review in December. And that was the final right, at first, straw.
1: At first before that came the, 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 you know, Bush put North Korea on the axis of evil.
0: Oh yeah. That There's was one. at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. That is important. I always skip that. Right. I always go to the fall, but yeah, the axis of evil thing is important that here, I mean, and look at the absolute absurdity, absurdity of this. And in, but don't let it fool you, people, like if you were too young to remember. This was important. I mean, people took this seriously. That there was an alliance, an axis, you know, like Hitler and Mussolini and Tojo, an axis. Between Saddam Hussein, the Ayatollah, Kim Jong-il, and Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm.
1: That's what they tried to make people think.
0: But I then mean, it wasn't until the, I think the last straw, and, and let me know if I left out anything else. That was that series of what now? That's five, six provocations of 2002 was what finally led to Kim Jong-il announcing he was withdrawing from the non treaty, kicking the IAEA inspectors out of the country. And only then did he start making nuclear weapons and not out of enriched uranium from a hidden uranium enrichment program Based on Pakistani aluminum tubes and all that, like in John Bolton's lies, but instead on plutonium harvested from their Soviet area, Soviet era Yongbyong reactor, the one you already mentioned there, and now they have what a couple of dozen nukes, and it's all John Bolton and George W. Bush's fault.
1: Well, if we can go back, I mean the the the, the Clinton and the Clinton agreement that you referred to that uh, was. Actually, North Korea—that w- w- was signed in in '94, as you said—and uh, it, it was called the Agreed Framework. And it was it was a first step toward, actually, in the minds of the U.S. negotiators and the North Korean negotiators, it was the first step toward, you know, ending the state of war and hostility between the U.S. and North Korea and and normalizing relationships, normalizing diplomatic relations eventually.
0: I mean, that's even the yeah. name of it, right? It's the agreed framework. It's like, it's let's get improving. started on right. improving things. All right, now tell me about Newt game.
1: Right. World. And so, so then, uh, so then you had, you know, this agreement, North Korea froze its nuclear program under the agreement with Clinton under this agreed framework, and actually for 12 years there was no fissile, you know, material made. There were, they didn't make any any kind of nuclear, you know, weapons-grade um, material that could be used in bombs. So they sh- it was shut down for for a total of 12 years, uh, and then in the end of the 90s, at the very end of the Clinton administration. Uh, there was negotiations to end North Korea's missile program. They came very close to an agreement, and it was pretty much, you know, pretty much uh, signed off on by both leaders in both countries uh, at the end of the Clinton administration. And then, uh, you know, Bush came in, and immediately, within a few months of his administration, before 9-11, uh, Bush had met with a then Korean president and the great hero of the opposition movement Kim Dae-jung who was the president at that time in 2001 and and he was the one who had initiated the initial engagement with North Korea and he was the first president of South Korea to meet with the North Korean leaders and Bush said we don't trust North Korea we're not going to negotiate anymore and basically ended uh, that that period of, of uh, engagement, and then as you as you mentioned, uh, the next year in two thousand two, uh, the U- Bush sent a delegation to Pyongyang, and they uh, they said you have built a uran- you're building a uranium facility, and therefore you violated the agreement. Therefore, we're pulling out, and therefore there's no agreement. But in fact, what had happened at that time was that. North Korea was, uh, you know, bringing in parts that could be made into an uranium enrichment site. They had not enriched any uranium yet, yet though, uh, and 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 they said they were willing to talk about it uh, and willing to negotiate it. But they 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 cons- they felt that they had a right to do that as sort of a backup uh, in, c- in case this agreement fell apart. Uh, because it came under intense Republican opposition as soon as the Republicans came in in '94, mm-hmm. uh, you know, after they signed this, and so then, uh, you know, the, the U.S. Bush accused them of, you know, building this uranium facility and 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 building trying to build a uranium bomb, and they just ended ended the the whole framework, and so uh, after a couple of years, North Korea did not explode a nuclear bomb until after that, until after Bush canceled all the engagement in 2006 was their first bomb.
0: Right. It, yeah. It, no, it took them three years or something to make one three or four years.
1: It, it took them three years. And so then, you know, and they've developed it ever since. And then, of course, you know, when th- these these negotiations happened in 2018 that I mentioned and then Trump met with
0: him. Uh, let me uh, just interrupt here to note real quick that we know for a fact on at least 95% of these tests that they've done, that these are plutonium bombs. These are not enriched uranium bombs. They can tell from the radioactive signatures and whatever all the scientists can. So there's no question that this all came (laughs) from (laughs) plutonium harvested from their reactor that we already knew they had, that they had turned off under the agreement that our side breaking the agreement led them to turn back on.
1: Right. And so, and so... You know, now the, the, the situation has also changed now because back when there was negotiations in, in 2018, 2019, uh, you know when, when North Korea was slapped with sanctions by the UN Security Council in, in 2017 and 2018, both China and, and Russia voted for those sanctions. Because they were, they themselves f- felt that you know North Korea's nuclear pro- uh, nu- nu- nuclear program was a problem, and and they, and, the, and the and they recognized they felt that the ice their ICBM tests were also uh, broke international agreements, and so the Russians and the Chinese voted for the sanctions. But of course now we're almost at war with Russia, and we're we're you know very hostile toward China. And so they're no longer willing to go along with sanctions against North Korea. So, uh, the, you know, North Korea is, has sort of taken advantage of that and is testing, is, is testing its, uh, you know, missile capability. Right. But, you know, they, they, the, the, the U.S. has been saying incessantly since I traced this back to last May 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 is May fifth of this year. Uh, uh, you know, Biden's na- uh, national security advisor said, you know, North Korea is ready to uh, test another bomb any moment now, and you know, the repress you know repeated that. And they say this every day. They said it again today. But since May eighth, there's been there's been no nuclear test. But they keep saying there's going to be one, and so we have to be prepared. And so each side is just ratcheting up, you know, like so then the North Korean does these tests and then the U.S. does these massive air exercises with both South Korea and Japan. And they, they, they keep doing these these military exercises that are designed to completely destroy, you know, North Korea uh, if, if there was any kind of conflict, any kind of armed conflict. And, uh, you know, they've been, they've been going back to the rhetoric, the Pentagon anyway, has been going back to the rhetoric that Trump was using in 20, 2017, i.e., you know, you will be totally destroyed, uh, if you continue this
0: path. <laughs> they sent Kamala Harris over there to threaten him. Um,
1: it just had the po- American policy has just simply not, you know, under Biden, it, 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 the hostility, it, it, not, nothing has changed. They say, oh, we're open to talks, but they won't come forward with any kind of negotiating, you know, uh, uh, you know, in, in any kind of plan that would move the two sides, you know, towards reconciliation.
0: Right. Now, so stop there for a second, because, and not to personalize this too much, but, hey, everybody knows and hates John Bolton, and it is his fault, and it's easier for people to understand it in this way, Right. That and and you alluded to this a bit, that um, but let's I want to make this clear and you can correct me wherever I get it screwed up here, Tim, but just my best understanding of the narrative here is once Bush pushed North Korea to nukes, he said, Well, now you have to give up your nukes or I'll never talk to you again. I remember him famously getting in an argument with President Roe of South Korea over a right. mis a mistranslation. Roe goes, Did you just say we could negotiate? First, and then, like, nukes later. And Bush goes, no, I did not say that. When? Uh, yeah, okay. Then Barack Obama comes in. He's emperor for eight years. He keeps the exact same policy. They call it strategic patience, which just means ignoring North Korea, as, which as I guess, better than constantly ratcheting up tensions, but mostly ignoring them, trying to outsource negotiating with them to China for whatever good that would do, but insisting on the Bush formulation, that... Once they give up their nukes, then we'll start talking to them, which, of course, is the poisonous pill in the whole world is meant to fail, is meant to prevent negotiations from happening. Then Trump comes and the South Korean president says, and you're right, because I I do remember that, you know, they did in 08 Bush softened for a minute and then took it back. You know, that, that is an important kind of side note there. But then under Trump. The South Korean president comes and says, look, man, I want to make a deal. We'll put nukes on the back burner for a minute and see if we can just make a deal with them. And this is about after a year of Trump playing Mr. Tough Guy, fire and fury and all that. And then Trump says, fine, go ahead. And he has the South Korean delegation. Go ahead and announce it in the White House driveway before his own government can stop him. And then so but then there's one guy from the actual government, I guess. Began, Stephen Began, and he gives a speech at Heritage and says, I think, and says, um, all right, look, we're putting nukes on the back burner. We're going to make peace with North Korea on all these different issues and uh, or we're going to allow the South Koreans to uh, and cooperate with that. And then we'll get to nukes, you know, we'll trade some security guarantees, this and that. And then. So I remember, I think, interviewing you at the time and saying, this is the greatest invention in the history of diplomacy with North Korea in the last 75 years or something like that is, um, is this formulation by Began. Then they go to, correct me, I forget if it was in Saigon or if it was in when they were in Singapore. I'm sorry. Singapore was first. Okay. Yeah,
1: Singapore was first. Right?
0: And they and they bring John Bolton and Began has to sit in the back of the room and Bolton sits at the table and blusters and threatens and prevents any progress from being made. And then that's all she wrote.
1: Well, at, at Singapore, they did make a declaration which did not, which, as you said, you know, basically put denuclearization as kind of a second step. And, and the initial thing, the initial language was, you know, to, to, to improve the relationship and end the hostility. That was basically the point of what they said. And then we, these so other So that's things, what
0: led to the DMZ photos and all of that, right? right so then what happened?
1: Right. But then when they went, you know, then when they were, you know, they had, and then they set this meeting in March 2019 in Hanoi. And Kim Jong-un took a, took a train all the way from Pyongyang down to Hanoi. Uh, spent a two two or three day train trip, and then they sat down and it looked like that was, it was right before Hanoi that Begin made that speech where Begin said, basically, you know, we're we're trying to have a breakthrough that will put, uh, you know, make the peace first and then, you know, go next to dealing with this nuclearization issue. Uh, but that was, you know, he was speaking out of school. Basically, that was not that was not accepted by either Trump or Pompeo, and especially by Bolton. And so when Kim Jong Un came there and laid out this, you know, offer to shut down Yongbyon, uh in return for not not lifting all sanctions, but lifting the 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 most recent sanctions, which had really, really stifled the North Korean economy and particularly the civilian economy, because it basically, you know, stopped all imports and exports and even, you know, essential goods. And so that really had put the screws on North Korea and its economy. But that deal was, you know, you know, it just, they just rejected it. Trump rejected it at, you know, and Bolton played the big role there and Bolton has said, since. Uh, you know, that that would have been a terrible mistake. And, you know, he, 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 Bolton was was a big force in that breakdown of that agreement. And um, he also, you know, talked very disparagingly about the president of South Korea at the time, Moon, you know, very disrespectful, uh, basically, you know, not, not recognize them as equals or anything. Just, you know, basically you're just... This colony of ours, and you have to go along with whatever we say, and um, but you know even before the agreements fell apart, you know North and South, Kim Jong Un and Moon had 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 made a lot of progress in their in bilateral negotiations. Uh, they had really you know you know brought tensions down on the border to DMZ by removing mines and. And you know, making changes there, so it wasn't such a confrontational situation on the border. Uh, And they had also wanted to, you know, have some economic exchanges. And and there was one big project that they wanted to do, which was for the South Koreans to help the North Koreans modernize their railroads. Um, But that was that was vetoed by the by the Pentagon and in the U.S. uh, because you know the Pentagon runs the so-called UN command in Korea, which controls any border crossings, any crossing of the border between North and South. And so when South Korea, you know, wanted to bring people North to work on the railroad project, uh, that was just flatly denied by, by the U.S. and the Pentagon. And so, you know, that also played into it, because, like the North Koreans finally started saying, "Well, you know, here you are, South Korea saying you want to imp- make the peace and you know and 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 make you know help help with our economy and and you know deep you know make it make it less tense because of that, but you can't do it because Uncle Sam won't let you. you know, so it really underscored their fears that South Korea was so much under the control of the U S and they've, they've been saying that a lot lately.
0: Mm -hmm. Sorry. Hang on just one second. Hey guys, anybody who signs up to listen to this show by way of Patreon will be invited to join the Reddit group. And I'm going to start posting stuff over there more. That's patreon.com slash Scott Horton show. Thanks. Hey y'all LibertasBella.com is where you get Scott Horton show and libertarian Institute shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, and stickers and things including the great top lobsters designs as well. See, that way it says on your shirt why you're so smart. Libertas Bella, from the same great folks who bring you ammo.com for all your ammunition needs, too. That's LibertasBella.com. You guys, check it out. This is so cool. The great Mike Swanson's new book is finally out. He's been working on this thing for years. And I admit, I haven't read it yet. I'm going to get to it as soon as I can. But I know you guys are going to want to beat me to it. It's called, Why the Vietnam War? Nuclear bombs and nation building in Southeast Asia, 1945 through 61. And as he explains on the back here, all of our popular culture and our retellings and our history and our movies are all about the height of the American war there in, say, 1964 through 1974. But how do we get there? Why is this all Harry Truman's fault? Find out in Why the Vietnam War by the great Mike Swanson available now. You so know, back it, to where we started, right? Is this is because the US government does not want peace. They prefer nuclear brinksmanship on the Korean peninsula so they can keep South Korea and Japan under their thumb as a united front against China.
1: And and they want to have this, you know, they've had this massive military infrastructure since you know the the, since after the Korean War. I mean it's been you know one of the important things about the nuclear story that that I I I don't I don't think gets enough attention is the fact that you know it was the United States that first introduced nuclear weapons into Korea. First by you know during the Korean War both President Truman and President Eisenhower threatened North Korea with nuclear attacks if they wouldn't sign, you know, the, the uh, agreement, that the armistice. And uh, they, they made those threats numerous times. And then in 1957 and 1958, the U.S. actually introduced nuclear weapons into South Korea. They brought in hundreds of, of, of tacti- tactical nuclear weapons. Some were on planes, some were in, in cannons. And then there was even some, you know, American soldiers would carry them on their backpacks, these, these sort of miniature nukes that they, you know, send, send a missile from, the, from these small backpacks. And so, you know, they introduced nuclear weapons early on in the 50s. It wasn't until 30 years later that North Korea uh, began developing its own nuclear program. And you know, I think that's a that's a development that is completely ignored in in U.S. you know coverage of Korea. Like we're the ones who brought in nuclear weapons. You know, in 1991, George H.W. Bush removed those tactical weapons uh, from Korea and, and a number of other places around the world as part of a broader you know a broader uh, kind of campaign. A broader program dealing dealing with the Soviet Union and 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 arms control, and that was a good thing that they did that. But 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 the U S. of course has nuclear weapons in the region, you know, on its on its aircraft carriers, on submarines, on all you know planes that fly from Guam, the, these big you know strategic bombers that the U S. has. So you know, there's still like a real nuclear threat, and of course they say South Korea is under the so-called nuclear umbrella what does that mean well that means you know if, if there's a war the us would use nuclear weapons and so we're basically back to you know the back to the old confrontation except now you know north the china and the and and russia you know are not willing to you know vote against north korea in the, the un security council anymore and of course you know all the all the latest, you know, American policy formulations coming out of the Pentagon makes you know the big enemy is now China, and China knows that very well. And as I've been saying, you know, if 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 Biden can meet with Xi Jinping, who's supposed to be our big enemy, why can't he meet with uh, Kim Jong Un? I mean, I mean, Biden admitted this morning on the press conference that he did from Indonesia that he said, well, I don't think we can really say that China controls North Korea. Well, duh, China cannot control North Korea. You know, China does not have military forces in North Korea. China China has a good relationship with them, but they don't control them. The only way you're going to get any kind of movement is by having direct negotiations. And it's insane that it's been, you know, 77 years and there's only been one period of like 18 months when the top leaders of the U.S. met with the top leaders of North Korea. And 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 I think you're right. You know, the refusal to negotiate anything besides, you know, you have to give up all your nuclear weapons and then we'll talk about other things. That's not the way to make the peace.
0: Oh, and they know that, too. That's their most poison pill. It's the most blatant thing in the world. You'd think they'd come up with another way to sabotage it and try to pretend to be the nice guy for a minute, liberal rules-based world order and all of that crap. But nope, this is purely, you know, Hillary Clinton's muscular foreign policy.
1: Right. It it hasn't changed at all. And, you know, the thing is, like a lot of the people that made, you know, you were talking about this uh, Obama policy of, you know, basically benign neglect, right? Right. Uh, but, but it was during that time they were there, you know, Obama was working very hard to, you know, cement the military alliance between the U.S., Japan, and South Korea. And, you know, his, you know, uh, Tony Blinken, the, the, uh, current secretary of state and, you know, uh, his, his, his current national security advisor, they were key parts of that Obama policy administration. I mean, I mean, Blinken was his deputy national security advisor, you know, so they played very important roles under Obama and they're back doing the same thing now. And, and I think it's, it's, it's just a really, a a really dangerous situation. And that, uh, if it continued like, you know, I think we need to start listening to, to, uh, the, you know, people of South Korea, there's been, you know, Many, many groups in, in civil society groups in South Korea, uh, 700 groups put an incredible statement together about two weeks ago calling on both North Korea and the U.S. and South Korea to stop escalating, you know, to stop the cycle of escalation where North Korea tests and then the U.S. You know and South Korea have these massive exercises and you know, where they fly, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fighter planes, uh, and, and, and that just that just you know raises the tensions all over. And so South Koreans are saying, you know, let's stop this escalation and get back, you know, to, to negotiating an end to the Korean War. And they and they say, get back to the declaration that the two the US and North Korea made in in, in Singapore, the Singapore Declaration, used that as a beginning language, and also the in 1992, South Korea, North Korea had this very broad agreement on you know having uh, no nuclear weapons in, in their in their country. Period. But that was a good. That's where the negotiations began between North and South Korea. So they're saying let let's stop the escalation, and and begin talking to you know so lots of american analysts are now saying you know like just recognize north korea as a as a nuclear power and then you know try to negotiate arms control i think that's a good starting point but i think we have to end the war the state of war it, the, you know the korean war never ended it's just an armistice there was never a peace agreement the us torpedoed any agreement Peace agreement, and there was 1954. There was talks that were supposed to, you know, end the and bring a peace agreement. But the U.S. torpedoed them. The U.S. had no interest in a peace agreement in Korea because they wanted to maintain South Korea as a massive military base, which they did from the Korean War on. South Korea was this military garrison, and you know we can't forget that it was under a military garrison state under incredibly authoritarian rule. It was a, it was a torture state, you know, until the late 1980s. So the U.S. has a huge responsibility for, for what happened. Uh, You know, the, the, the U.S. policy from the 50s, 60s and 70s of military confrontation, you know, kept it at a state of, uh, like you say, like that, and then that's, you know, what the military industrial complex likes. They want to have this state of war. They can say we have to have more weapons and more of this and more rockets and, you know, more strategic planes and et cetera. And it just keeps going and going. It just doesn't seem to change.
0: Yeah, well, hey, uh, did you see the news that they're going to debut the new long-range stealth bomber? I'm not sure if that has anything to do with what we're talking about here. (laughs) Well, then they could, fly a from,
1: they could fly from Nebraska or wherever those planes yeah. are based all the way to North Korea. And, you know, it's just like...
0: They cost they, $1 million billion each. It's great.
1: Oh, great. Yeah, terrific. That's all we need, right?
0: hmm And um, it is but, a matter of the flea wagon, the dog and so many of these things, right? I mean, you mentioned Harry Truman, how this never went away since him. But, oh, you know, really since FDR built this war machine to fight World War II. And I can't remember who it was. Oh, I... Uh, I'm such an idiot. Someone was just characterizing this wonderfully the other day about how big business in America really did not want to get into World War II. So instead of coercing them, FDR just made them a deal. Look, stop making things that people want and start making weapons of death and destruction and I'll pay you handsomely with deficit spending. And they were like, word. And then they never stopped. That was it. They never stopped ever since then. And Mike, what are you going to do? I mean.
1: I was right about the military industrial complex. Too bad he said it just as he was leaving office. But yeah, it's, you know, they're it's it's out of control. And you see, you know, they're the ones who really influence policy. You know, I've been writing about this for years. Right. You know, Center for Strategic International Studies. Who were they? They're funded by Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and everybody else. And all these think tanks that are funded. By these ma- huge military contractors, you know they—they don't—they're not interested in peace. They, but that's who the press quotes all the time in the U.S.
0: Yeah, I remember as a little kid, probably listening to like National Public Radio or something in the '80s, and hearing them talk about a think tank. Oh, that's interesting because yeah, you know you that? picture a tank, right? Like a little kid, you're like a picture a think tank. What do they do? Well, they sit there and think about things, but it should, the definition of that from the ground up always when people teach their little kids should be that it's corruption. It's the worst thing about America. It's where arms dealers pay corrupt academics, exorbitant amounts of tax money that they stole in order to write justifications for the money they make killing innocent people. That's who they are. They're the worst people in the whole world.
1: These militarists. I mean, no, oh, it's just American militarism is a scourge on the planet. Um, and you know, the, 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 it's this past, this history, this hidden history that that is we never. It's so hard to get to. That's the reason for I'm doing this Patreon. That's the reason I have this website up is to so people can understand this history more. And you know, I'm I'm trying to you know use it to like you know so people can read about what what happened earlier in the 70s and the 80s and and so on, and 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 read about uh, you know the U.S. support for military governments in South Korea for so long and their support for reactionary. Uh, Cold War gover- ruling party in Japan that was, cre- you know, the LDP was created by the CIA, millions and millions of dollars went to Japan in the in the 1950s to support, you know, its pro-US, you know, government that's been in power. and And that's why I'm doing this is that we need to understand the past and break away from this militarism story and that that whole way of looking at things and look at what we've done and then you know try to go from there and try to try to un, you know try to understand why we're at such a why the situation is so tense right now you yeah. have to go back and understand it
0: and by the way
1: so that's what you know do, here, and i hope people can go to it, So
0: yeah yeah absolutely and and i hope they will too we're gonna plug that real good at the end too but you know, it kinda of goes without saying, so it does go unsaid. I don't know if you and I have ever even really discussed this in all these years. Is the tyranny of North Korea. Everybody knows it is like the world's last Stalinist stronghold, right? And I read something about something like two thirds of the people in North Korea are in the military. Something like that. Like it's the most it's,
1: it's, a, it's very, very militaristic. The military itself has enormous amount of power there and and and, and you, know, you, you know yes it's it's a it's a totalitarian state a totalitarian garrison state uh, and but you know they they've been feeling you know w- with, with some justification since the korean war that they're under great threat from the united states and 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 i think uh, you know south korea you know, until the late 80s was also a draconian authoritarian state. Mm-hmm. I called it, it was a torture state. People stood up, you know, it wasn't the United States that gave democracy to South Korea. You know, people stood up and fought for years against this U.S.-backed military government in South Korea and finally, you know, broke its back with public protests, you know, year after year, month after month. That took a lot of organizing, but for many years, it was under this kind of authoritarian state. The U.S. got really used to having an authoritarian state, and that, that would just, you know, do what the United States, you know, w- wanted it yeah. to do. Well, and, and also,
0: look, I mean, the point there, there's a couple points there, too, about, I mean, not to downplay the South, but just to change the subject back to the North there, is, one, people get very emotionally invested in these narratives, so they need to understand, and we need to make it blatant, probably, for people that none of this is an apology for the government of North Korea. We're just pointing the finger at our own government and what it's doing wrong, which is plenty. And it, you know what I mean? You don't have to be on the side of David Koresh or Manuel Noriega or Saddam Hussein or Muammar Gaddafi or any of these people in order to just tell the truth about the situation. Nobody simple does as that. And also, wait, the second point, and go. you can go ahead right after this, is that just because somebody runs a tyranny doesn't mean that they are externally adventurous and pose a threat to their neighbors necessarily. Now, when provoked and they have total, you know, dictatorship type power, it's pretty hard for checks and balances to stop them from reacting in terrible ways. But you could be like you could believe every absolute horrible thing about David Koresh still doesn't mean he's about to march on downtown Waco. You know, same thing here. And people conflate these things. Oh, Chairman Xi, he's evil. Well, he is the dictator of a communist dictatorship. What the hell can I say? That's pretty much the definition of evil, other than straight from hell or something like that. But does that mean that he's about to occupy Japan? No. And so we got to be able to, you know, parse these issues. And I think that as totalitarian as the North Korean state is, They respond to incentives just like everybody else. And here, America is the 8 trillion ton gorilla. We have everything to give and nothing to lose by just treating them like a little kid, patronize them a little bit, but be nice enough to warm things up. And we should be able to do that. That's all we're saying here.
1: Confrontation just makes the human rights problem situation in North Korea worse because as the South Korean government did for years, the North Korean government, of course, uses the external threat as the justification for this massive police state that they have. And I think it's, you know, there's example after example around the world. When you make the peace, you know, uh, cruelty within, you know, your system uh, dissipates. And cruelty and violence dissipate when you make the peace and the and the, that country does not feel uh, threatened. Look what happened in Ireland, you know, there are years of confrontation and you know, you know, IRA versus the U K the British government and there was terrible violence on both sides, right? They, you know, when they finally reached the peace, that you know, there wasn't, you know, the IRA wasn't didn't didn't, didn't you know set off bombs in downtown London anymore i mean it ended right it wasn't because the irish were just n- insane and and you know cruel by themselves they were they 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 wanted to get free of the uk they wanted to get free of british control and so like you make the peace they finally made the peace and the and the violence ended and and you know terrorism ended between the between the two sides and and i think the same thing could happen in korea but you have to end this war. It's so it's so important, and that's what a lot of South Koreans who, of course, are concerned about the rights of the people across the border. They're their family, they're their, they're their you know, uncles, grandparents, Families are split. People don't want to see you know those people all killed in a war. they want they don't want to see them persecuted either. but but the way to do it is to bring some kind of peace to the land. So the two sides can can develop, you know, the relationship on their own, as they've shown they can do, as they as happened under under the last administration of Moon Jae-in. You know, there, there was a real breakthrough between North and South, and unfortunately, the U.S. the U.S. military posture really destroyed that that movement. I think, and. Um, you know that that's the thing is that you know it's it's not that they're all evil on one side. It's just that they're they 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 make terrible decisions because they're under this wartime situation, and they fear being attacked, and so they fear an internal you know just they fear any kind of internal threat to them is you know that that's also a threat. So you know, end the war. I think that that's what lots of peace activists in South Korea have been saying for, you know, years and years and years. we got to, you know, bring a formal end to the Korean War, which could, you know, which could eventually, you know, mean U.S. forces would leave. And that's something I think, you know, the Pentagon and the military uh, establishment here does not want to do. They They don't want to decrease, you know, american bases there they they want to keep them
0: yeah 70 years on just a ceasefire and no peace treaty that's just incredible it's really sad it's, it's really sad american diplomacy um and hey that's one where we said fine and called it a stalemate that could have been a lot worse man anyway let's not do the whole korean war now uh the last one well
1: you um, know the one thing i want to say is that you know I think it's going to take some outside force. I mean, the thing is, the UN does not have any uh, credibility in Korea because it's you know it's the UN. They gave you command, you know, U.S. to the UN command, right? So, like, an independent country that's not tied to either side. I'm thinking like maybe Brazil, maybe Brazil.
0: Yeah, somebody has no dog in the fight at all, right?
1: Yeah, and they, they have relationships with North Korea. They have diplomatic relationships with North Korea. Why not have Lula try to sit down with the two, three sides? I know? mean, and this
0: was so ridiculous, right, is that this is supposed to be America's role in the world. Well, we don't right. have a dog in any of these fights, but we'll host your peace conference. Yep. But no. We're the evil empire now. So
1: I mean, we so should like have that. been, you know, trying to negotiate an end to this war in Ukraine months and months and months ago. Yeah, Instead of the to and keeping the war Before, going, yeah. we're just fueling that war. It's not there's no there's no statesman like action, you know, like, OK, let's let's stop the fighting and let's, you know, meet in some third country and let's try to work it out. Uh, with Russia I mean I I just I just think that there's we lack that because it's I think the military is in control but I think it's going to take somebody from the outside I mean I really like the idea of you know somebody like Lula the president of Brazil who has relationships with North Korea and the United States sitting down with them you know I mean why
0: not anybody
1: third party
0: yeah who's the president of Uruguay send that guy I don't care
1: yeah Anything, anything to end, you know, to end this. But like our U.S. military, the, the pride in this, you know, huge military we have is just—it's a—it's a sickness. And and you you know you see the repercussions all the time. Looking around at our infrastructure, our healthcare, our healthcare system. I mean, the country we hate, China. Look what they've done and just turning, you know, linking all their cities through railroads, fast trains. I mean. They don't spend all of their money on, you know, and, and on on military technology. They 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 use it, you know, to to it's you know to build things inside their country. And you know, we have so much wealth, but it goes to all this, you know, fancy military technology, deadly military technology. And and I, I just, you know, we know how bad the the system is in terms of healthcare here and. And our infrastructure is a joke.
0: Yeah, well, um, there are other things that are more important, just like on September 11th. Where's our air defenses? Well, they're all provoking this attack over the no-fly zone in southern Iraq, and they're patrolling the DMZ over in Korea. Right. (laughs) They're not around to protect the United States of America. They're just over there getting us into fights.
1: Well, we had one plane in the air that day, right? Hey,
0: and guess what? I actually got a friend who went and was doing some research about September 11th, listening to Howard Stern talk about time to nuke the Middle East and all this stuff. And what he heard, Tim, was uh, from an L.A. radio station report about, I think, an hour before September 11th, the attack commenced, was oh, this just in, an American drone has been shot down over the no-fly zone. This is the only, you know, aircraft of ours that was ever shot down over the no-fly zone, as far as I know, uh, in southern Iraq. And that morning, the no-fly zone, that was the number one thing on the list, was American bases in Saudi Arabia in order to wage that air campaign against Iraq throughout the 1990s. It was the number one cause, number one motivation of the September 11th attack. And even that morning, there was news out of the no-fly zone. And by the way, as long as I'm ranting about that, I got to go ahead and mention it too because the news uh, just broke on this, I guess a couple of days ago. I only saw it this morning that they finally released Bush and Cheney's interview with the 9-11 Commission. And it's just a summary, but it does have this oh, really? direct quote. It says that Bush acknowledged that U.S. economic sanctions on Iraq were, quote, recruiting terrorists. Their propaganda with reports of starving Iraqi children were hurting us. So... Mr. They Hate Our Freedoms admitted himself. That's what it was about. It was American bases in Saudi Arabia being used to bomb and blockade the people of Iraq. And then, of course, after that, support for Israel and all the dictatorships of the Middle East, etc. But they're out of bushes. The liar's mouth himself. They never hated us because of our virtue. It was the sins.
1: What we did. It's what we did. And the thing is, like you were saying, you don't have to love these people to listen to them, right? I mean, like Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden were saying for years, this is a terrible thing to have American military forces in Saudi Arabia, where Mecca is, right? They were like, that's what inflamed so many of those Islamic fighters, right? The U.S. and Saudi Arabia. <laughs> we, we should have listened to that, <laughs> You know, listen to this opposition, just the same with North Korea. When North Korea says, we're afraid you're going to attack us, they have reason to believe that that's true. And, you know, we have to try to understand why they say what they're, why they do what they do. You know, why are they setting off these missiles? Because they want to make sure that if there's a war, they can hit the U.S. bases that are hitting them. Right. I mean, no country wants to be without defenses. And, and so, you know, North Korea, uh, you know, there was a, there was a Korean War, which was largely a civil war. Uh, North Korea has never invaded another country. It, it so-called invaded South Korea crossed the border into its own country by, in, in, you know, the the, two, the It was basically a construct: North, South Korea, and North Korea were constructs of the Cold War. But North Korea has never invaded another country. If, if any Korean country has invaded another country, it's South Korea, which sent 350,000 soldiers to fight with the U.S. in South Vietnam. You know, that was an invasion uh, of another country. So, you know, they have reason to think and to believe that the U.S. is a threat to them. And until the U.S. says, like you know, you know shows that they have some, you know, uh, that they don't want to do that, They'll, they'll continue to, to be testing, continue to build up their military, which is tragic because they, they it's such, as you were saying, it's a military state. So much of their resources goes into military, but it's not a poor, I mean, it, people, you know, a lot of Americans just write them off as just some broken third world country. But, you know, a broken third world country cannot make sophisticated missiles, that could hit the United States, and can you know a broken third world country cannot make nuclear weapons. It's just you know they have a highly te- technical society. Uh, you know they've come back from all kinds of destruction to you know to build a modern country. They're not lacking in technology, and he, you know the, it, 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 both. You know there just needs to be a peace. So both sides. Can you know improve their own countries? South Korea is one of the biggest military powers on Earth. They're now exporting you know weapons to Europe. They have they're exporting all kinds of weapons to Poland. You know stories came out the other day. They're selling you know they're selling, you know all kinds of military hardware to the U.S. That's being used in Ukraine. Uh, you know as as the U.S. sends them weapons sends ukraine weapons then south korea sends them to the u.s so the u.s still has all these weapons too so it just goes on and on
0: yep all right well we better leave this here uh okay. it's been a good one i've missed you tim thanks for coming back on the show
1: thanks a lot scott i really appreciate it
0: me too man uh you guys uh find tim Shorrock at patreon.com slash dmz empire that is his new project there, and as we forgot to discuss this time, he spent a lot of his youth over there and really has been an expert on this since I was in preschool, and I'm old, so that means he's old, but it also means he's got a hell of a lot of experience on this, so check that out again, patreon.com slash Empire for Tim Shorrock's new project there. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.